Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette, discuss it, and judge it to decide whether it should be set free <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Movie Oubliette, the transcontinental podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad, freezing my butt off in Cambridge, UK. And me, Dan, an anthropomorphised talking puddle of sweat in <laughs> Melbourne, Australia. In this podcast, we focus on fantastic cinema, sci-fi, horror and fantasy because we love cockpits with blinking lights, darkened basements where torches go out at the most inopportune moment and musty castles with roaring fireplaces. Dan, how are you? <laughs> well, as mentioned, I, I'm just a puddle right now. It's, <laughs> I'm just melting in this extreme hot weather in Australia. Well, make sure that none of your wax melts on your brand <laughs> new record player, mm. or should we say vinyl platter? I don't... Yeah, record player, though that's how I'm referring to it. I don't know <laughs> what the kids are calling it these days. <laughs> they call it vinyl. I had to laugh. Which show was it that I was watching where it was trying to go for like an 80s setting, but they had this store that was called Vinyl Store, and I thought, hmm, you haven't done your research. Mm -hmm. We didn't call it that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great, though, because I I went to an op shop today and, and just came back with armfuls of, of $1 to $2 vinyls. <laughs> um, and it's great. It's amazing. <laughs> Marvellous. So this episode's a bit of a different one. Uh, we're not going to be reviewing a film. No, because it's New Year's. So we thought we would take this opportunity to do the thing that you always do at the end of the year and reflect back on mm. the year that we've had or six months i should say yeah i know it hasn't even been a year yet <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> this is where you tell me it feels like it's been a year <laughs> i mean it's been a roller coaster ride not in terms of bad experiences but uh, we've had some amazing guests on we've reviewed some amazing films and some oh, horrendous films yes um but <laughs> Every time it's been a joy. Yes, I've really enjoyed it. And I've loved every part of making the show and learning how to edit your voice <laughs> and getting to know absolutely every vocal inflection that you have. Ah, <laughs> yes, yes. And and I, I do you too. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> so we've got some questions today. We do. We threw out an Ask Me Anything tag and we got back some fantastic questions from our listeners. So let's kick off with the first one from Facebook. Suzanne, a good one to start on. How long have you two known each other and how did you meet? Well, we met on a little website called Hit Record, mm. uh, which is open production company community that was uh, started by Joseph Gordon-Levitt and his brother um, back in 2009. I think mm. we were both members of that site and I think Conrad you've been on the site longer than I have. Yeah, I joined in 2012. Yes. But I 
didn't really get it <laughs> yeah. until, until 2015. So I had this New Year's resolution, 2014, I think it was, I'm going to start contributing to mm-hmm. things. Because the whole thing is you don't just sort of put your own stuff up there and just wait for people to admire you. The fun with Hit Record is that you remix each other's work. So mm. you take somebody else's stuff and build on it. Collaboration. Yeah. So, yeah, I started to get involved in doing that. And I looked to try and figure out what our first interaction was. And I think it was you recommending one of my songs yep. on the 1st of May 2015. Yep. I think that was the first time we it was. crossed paths. It was, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I did a thing on Hit Record. It's called a re-rec, which is pretty much a, a recommendation of some uh, great um art from the site and I did a whole bunch of recommendations for songs and musical tracks and I recommended your track which was called Briny Whiskers (laughs) and I still love it to this day (laughs) it's amazing (laughs) it's on SoundCloud if people want to check it out Mm. I'll put a link in the description maybe it's great it's great and I think we worked together quite extensively on uh, Hit Record on Your Radio which was a podcast that we uh, we helped to make yes. with um, Evan and Caitlin, mm. who are Caitlin and Olivia and the box sets on Hit Record. And that was incredible experience. I think that was my first kind of foray into the podcast realm. Yes, me too. And I, that's where I was bitten by the bug. And I thought, I think we could do something like <laughs> this. I think it would be fun. <laughs> ah, well... <laughs> Uh, it just took us uh, a good three years to come to that. <laughs> to finally get around to it. But we've only met physically once. Yes. <laughs> in Andy Ramone's back garden. In Norwich. August of last year? Yes, in August last year. Yeah, so shout out to Andy Ramone and his lovely wife. And the great barbecue that we had. Fantastic barbecue. Mm. So I got to meet you in person and give you a hug. Yes. In case you're wondering, listeners... He's a good hugger. Because I divide people in the world into two camps. There are good huggers and there are bad huggers. Oh, Um, right. Dan's a good one. That's a huge compliment for me. I I try to give good hugs. (laughs) I, I do hate a bad hug. Especially when there's no kind of pressure. It's just almost like you're you're hovering in this hug. Yeah, that's horrible. It's like a weak handshake. It's, it's awful. You know, you don't want one of those ones where people crush your hand, but you don't want one of these sort of slithery, <laughs> slimy things. Like, oh, Yeah, it's like shaking hands with a wet towel or something. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's not good. So I think in total we have known each other for about four years now? Yes. Yeah, yeah four years. It's not bad, is it? Not bad. <laughs> We're still talking to each other. Yeah. So follow-up question on, on that <laughs> from Corey Newman. More importantly, which one of you would win in a fight to the death? <laughs> um, I was going to say I would because I've got so many uh, musical instruments I can use as weapons. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've got I've got my guitars, I've got my glockenspiel, I've got I've got numerous percussion. I was gonna say my instruments are all virtual, so that would be no help whatsoever. <laughs> no, I was gonna say to you, have you ever actually been in a fight? Because this is one of my claims to fame. I've never been in a fight ever. Well, I mean, I've had, you know, play fights when I was a kid. So I don't know whether that counts as a fight because, you know, <laughs> You're a kid. But yeah, anything older than that, no, I don't like confrontation or altercations with anyone. I will just walk away. You're a lover, not a fighter. (laughs) So what's next? 
Our next question is from Chrysalis, uh, who was in Canada, and she asks, who drew your avatars? Ah, well, that's the wonderful and very talented Soju Shots, Evan Eastman, and he's got a great Society6 page, if you want to check that out, Society6 forward slash Soju Shots. And, and you should also check out his Instagram as well, um, Soju underscore Shots. Mm. I'm constantly blown away by how detailed and and unique his art is Mm. also i would like to mention that uh the background illustrations so the the brick wall and and the actual oubliette trapdoor were done by Anne rebuglia yes and liana oddy does the uh studio set for our animations Mm -hmm. and uh kirk olmstead came up with the layout for our icon Mm -hmm. for our logo so yeah, we've been very lucky through Hit Record to meet so many incredibly talented artists yes. who've been able to help us with this project. So, mm-hmm. so if we move into a review of the year, mm-hmm. as you know, Dan, I'm a big fan of making lists ah, yes. and doing some statistical analysis. <laughs> yes. So far, we have reviewed 17 forgotten films. Ooh. Nine horror, five science fiction, two fantasy, and one thriller. So 52% horror. Did we intend to be so horror-focused? I I don't know. I mean, I generally watch more horror these days. Mm. Um, So maybe it was my kind of influence in choosing the films. I'm not sure, but... um, I'm the same, actually. Um, It's either horror or really realistic dramas where people's lives are falling apart. That that seems to be (laughs) how I break things down. Okay. Strong horror inflection. I don't know whether we want to try and mix that up. Mm. I mean, I think definitely we need to do more fantasy because mm. I do really love covering fantasy on our episodes. Yeah, um, both Willow and Lady Hawk, I had a tremendous amount of fun recording those. Yes, me too. In terms of eras, we've done one sixties, one seventies. Eight eighties, three nineties, two aughties, and two tens. So not a bad spread, but there is a forty-seven percent skew towards the eighties. Oh, that's not surprising. <laughs> it's not. No, <laughs> it is a decade of great riches. I think. Mm. When when I first got into horror, because I I was a bit of a late bloomer in terms of horror. I I never never watched horror as a child, but when I got into it in my kind of mid twenties. 80s was the first decade of horror that I gravitated towards. Mm. And it's it's such a fun decade because everything's practical effects, there's no CGI, mm. um, there's a tremendous amount of fake blood. <laughs> and they did black comedy horror really well. Mm-hmm. A whole lot of great horror movies from the 80s that are both horrific and hilarious at the same time. Yeah. Well, horror goes through phases, I think. It's usually at its best at a time of great cultural stress. Mm -hmm. So the 90s, bland as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Everything seems to be bumbling along quite smoothly. Mm -hmm. The Cold War's ended. Not much social stress, really. And now... Horror's going through a huge boom. I wonder why. Mm, it's interesting. <laughs> so my last statistic is uh, the verdicts that we've given. So we've been quite lenient. Mm. We've set free 12 of the movies that we've looked at. That's 71%. Mm. We've had to use the coin of fate once mm-hmm. on Pandorum, mm-hmm. where 
you said let it go and I said don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we subsequently had the writer on the show, <laughs> Travis. Who was very good about it. I loved having Travis on. Travis was great. He was a lot of fun. Uh, we, we've also set three two-thirds of a movie once, which was Amityville 2, uh-huh. where we let yes. go Acts 1 and 2 but ditched Act 3, <laughs> which is an unusual outcome. Which leads us nicely into Corey Newman's other question to us, which is, do you regret throwing any movies back into the oubliette? And my follow-on would be, do you regret setting any of them go? Mm -hmm. Do you regret any of your decisions in general, Dan? Yes. Yes, I do. Oh, tell us more. Tell (laughs) us more. Uh, It's interesting because there are two movies. One of them I regret throwing back into the oubliette. Mm. The other one I regret setting free. They are Demons and Cemetery Man. So Cemetery Man, we set free. And when I kind of thought back on the movie, I don't know whether it worked for me. It was because it was so episodic. There wasn't this kind of overarching plot. It was just 10 minute short stories that kind of ended and then Mm. another one would start and new characters were brought in and then they were killed off and then the new one was brought in and killed off i don't think it works as a movie (laughs) i think it's a batshit crazy movie and it's courageous and brave in terms of putting some imagery out there but as a whole i i kind of regret setting it free Uh, i'm sorry david bruckner Uh, i know you love that film (laughs) (laughs) but i I kind of wished that we'd thrown it in the director of that film was one of the actors in demons yes and even though demons i know is is a terrible movie it's terrible acting horrible um adr dubbing (laughs) Uh, the music is outrageously inappropriate But I love that movie and I've actually watched it a few times and each time I have a lot of fun with it. Um, So I wish I could set that one free. I can see where you're coming from on both of those because if you look at the movies that we've thrown in, Demons, Saturn 3, The Stuff, Halloween H2O and Lady Hawk, I can definitely say honestly that I will never watch any of those again. (laughs) Demons is probably the one that's the most attractive for a second viewing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? Because Cemetery Man, I kind of feel as though if you're really into weird, off-the-wall horror and you like Rupert Everett and you would like to see something as batshit crazy as this, I think it's worth recommending to people. It is. Yeah. It depends what our criteria are. Are we letting it go because we think more people should see it? Yeah. Or because we personally would want to watch it again? Mm, mm. I mean, I think that's... It's tricky. it's It's a fine line between liking a film because it has great cinematic merit or liking a film because it's just entertaining, despite being a terribly, terribly made film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, w- what films have you regretted setting free or throwing back in? I actually don't regret throwing any of the films that we've thrown back into the Oubliette. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we've been too lenient. I think there are ones that we've set free that I probably would throw in <laughs> again. <laughs> so Amityville 2, I don't think, deserved... The Reprieve. I do love that movie, but I don't actually think it's a good movie. (laughs) And I'm sorry, Travis, if you're listening, I still don't think Pandorum is a very good movie. (laughs) Not because it's bad, just because it's bland. I just don't think there's anything... Mm. It's a well-made movie. 
And yes, Travis, it's a well-written movie with lots of amazing third act twists. Possibly too many, I'd say. <laughs> but it's a very well-made movie, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend anybody watch it. Mm. Okay. So this is a question from Jonathan Van Mumford, who was my best man at my wedding. <laughs> hey, Jono. Of the films you have covered so far, what are the top three you would recommend someone should watch immediately? The Haunting is a classic, and I think especially seeing as the series has the the Netflix series has done so well, I think everybody mm-hmm. should go back and and see the original Robert Wise movie because it's it's amazing. The Vanishing because I think that was one that we really did rescue from the oubliette and try to rejuvenate its reputation. I think it is a really good movie, and actually working on that episode made me realize just how good it is, and. Melancholia, which I don't think was really a, an edge case anyway. It's, it's an amazing movie. I think it's very well reviewed and well thought of generally. Maybe not if you're in a down mood, you know, <laughs> <laughs> on your own on New Year's Eve or something. No, um, no. No, pick your moment. But yeah, Melancholia. I think those are the three I would recommend. What about you? Um, yeah, similarly, I said The Haunting and uh, Melancholia as well. Mm. I mean, The Haunting was just, it's such a milestone in in horror history uh it paved the way for so many kind of um horror tropes uh melancholia it's it's one of my favorite films mm. so of course i'm gonna say that <laughs> i love uh Lars von Trier as a director even though i don't love all of his films but i like how he pushes mm. things and he is very brutal in his portrayal of emotions and characters sometimes um, and every every one of his movies is a tragedy, and I love tragedies. <laughs> the third movie I would actually choose would be Razorback. Ah. I think it's a very, very underrated Australian film that um, everyone should watch. It's some of the most fascinating and awe-inspiring uh, cinematography I've ever seen in a horror film, um, let alone just a film in general. Um, I think it's a... Yeah. Great film. Yes. Um, I also have three films that I would recommend as like just fun, <laughs> invite some friends around and 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 have a few beers kind of thing. <laughs> um, so those three would be Black Sheep, Cemetery Man, even though I didn't like it uh, as a film overall, I think it would be an incredible film to kind of laugh about and joke around with friends. Yeah. Well, I think David Bruckner would agree because it was his college movie with his friends, wasn't exactly, it? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And also uh, the third film would be Society because of that scene that just <laughs> blows my mind uh, every time. The shunting. <laughs> yes. The shunting. Yeah. I think Society is so relevant now. I think it really uh, yes. is. I can just imagine the Trump family all shunting each other. I think it's just so relevant, that movie. (laughs) Okay, so another top three question from Blake Earnhardt. Blake has also got Afro Duck Sound, which is kind of his music licensing company. So anyone that (laughs) needs music licensing, uh, Blake is your man. So he asked, what are your top three favourite scenes from all the movies you've reviewed thus far? Mm, well, I've already mentioned one, uh, the shunting scene in society. <laughs> Still blows my mind. You like a good shunting. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> it, it's burnt into my in the back of my brain. It's, it will never leave. You can't, you can't unsee that. The second favourite scene, I would say, would actually be 
the ghost scenes in Amityville 2. Oh, yeah. I really loved how they were shot and how it, the camera kind of floats around and it's amazing. And it, it kind of tilts, lots of Dutch tilts. And, and, and that scene where it goes over the main character and it goes upside down. Oh, yeah. Incredible, incredible um, cinematography. Um, it is good. Yeah, loved it. And the third one would be the dream sequences from Razorback. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely good examples of that, that amazing cinematography we're mm. talking about. And for you, Conrad, your three favourite scenes? Um, my three favourite were the Battle of Tirasline in mm. Willow, which we've often referred back to as an excellent example of visual storytelling mm-hmm. and how to edit and sequence an action scene with three different stories happening at the same time and how they all affect each other. Is that the one with the, the two-headed dragon as well? Yeah. It's funny, it's exciting, it's scary. It's 80s action-adventure movie-making mm. at its finest and it's the sort of thing that i miss dearly every time i go to the cinema and just watch thousands and thousands of dollars worth of cgi just (laughs) strobing across the screen (laughs) and i have no clue what the hell is going on Mm. and don't care either yeah for my second one i was going to say the terror in bed sequence in the haunting where the two ladies are woken up by the uh, noises in the middle of the night Mm. i love that i still think it's terrifying that sequence Love that scene too. It's a good one. And finally, from Black Sheep, the whole Land Rover sequence. Oh, (laughs) right. I just love that. I haven't laughed so much watching one of our movies. (laughs) That whole thing with the guy in the front battling with a obviously puppet (laughs) sheep and the guy in the back throwing the chainsaw over the side by accident. Yeah, it's beautifully Mm, put together and very funny. I just love that. It is a hilarious, hilarious scene. Interestingly, uh, that leads on to one of our next questions by Sam Dyson. Hi, Sam. And she asked, if you could be a character in any of the films you have reviewed, who would you be? And I would say I would be that guy that you're talking about on the Land Rover. (laughs) Um, So the character's name is Tucker, played by Tammy Davis from Outrageous Fortune fame. I love his character. I would be him any day. He's just so kind of matter of fact and laid back and just, he just does the job <laughs> and he's, he's badass at the same time. Um, That's not a bad pick <laughs> at all. He's a great guy. For me, I would want to be Rita Baker, Nancy Travis's character in The Vanishing. She may not have book smarts, but she's got the kind of smarts that I've always wanted to have, that I've always admired Mm. in other people, which is that she, like Tucker, she gets to the truth of the matter really quickly. And she can improvise and think on her feet and she outwits and runs rings around both men in that movie. So yes, I would proudly wear... A Rita Baker t-shirt, Rita Baker for the win. Good choice, good choice. Mm. So another fantasy question from Lena. Mm -hmm. And she asks, if you could spend a day in a movie, not necessarily one of our movies that we've reviewed, I think. Mm -hmm. She just says a movie. Where would you spend it and why? Which movie would you like to live in for a day, Dan? So I pondered upon this question for a while because... A lot of my favourite movies, I've realised hmm. uh, I would never want to live a day in them. <laughs> no. either... Well, this is why our movies are not a good choice, because something awful is happening yeah, in all exactly. of the films that we watch. <laughs> so I thought about it for a while, and I thought 
There's a movie called Mood Indigo, and it's directed by Michelle Gondry, oh. and it's a amazing um, visual feast of just all sorts of stuff. There's stop motion. There's cars made out of cardboard. <laughs> there's funfair rides that fly into the sky. It's it's a beautiful imaginative <laughs> movie that I would love to spend a day in. Mm. Maybe not as a character, but as a a fun ride or something, just going through the sets and just being in awe of everything that I'm witnessing with my eyes. That, that sounds great. I have not seen that movie. It's quite a long movie and it's quite sad, but I love it. Mm. I, I, I'm a huge Michelle Gondry fan. Mm, me too. Dating back to his music videos that he did with Bjork. Yeah. He's an amazing director. Mm. And, and for you, Conrad, uh, where would you like to spend the day? I've gone for wanting to live in the world of Call Me By Your Name. Oh, I haven't seen that. You haven't. You really (laughs) should watch it. Apart from being Mm. just an achingly beautiful love story and a a keenly observed drama, that film is so imbued with the Mediterranean lifestyle of its setting, just the quality of the light, the pace of life, all the food, sort of eating outside late into the evening as the sun is setting. Uh, and is it set in Italy or Greece or something? It's northern Italy oh. and it just looks amazing, especially when it's, what is it here, three degrees today. <laughs> <laughs> you can almost get a suntan from just watching this movie. It's just so mm. languorous and beautiful and, yeah. Well, my sister lives in northern Italy, so now I really want to watch that movie <laughs> so, because I've been, I've been all over that, that area. Yeah. Ah. Um, this year, in fact, so... Uh, you might recognise some of it. I probably will. Mm. I probably will. So the next question we have is from our good mate, Serge, from Cold <laughs> Crash Pictures. Hey, Serge. Hey, Serge. And he asks, uh, which movie doesn't belong in the oubliette, but you still wish you could review anyway? Oh. Yeah, maybe my favourite movie. Mm-hmm. It's Ordinary People. Right. I think it would qualify as forgotten because although it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay and the lead actor, Timothy Hutton, bizarrely won Best Supporting Actor, don't ask, <laughs> okay. in 1980 when it was released. But it's not a genre movie. It's not horror. It's not science fiction. But it's actually a genre that you'd probably really like because it's about a tragedy and a family falling to pieces. Oh, my favourite. <laughs> I think you'd love it. I probably would. <laughs> but yeah, it's mainly remembered for being the film that won Best Picture the year that Raging Bull probably should have won Best Picture. But oh. I will stand by it because I actually think it's a better movie. Okay, Fight me. the main character's called conrad Ah. it resonates with me on a very personal level so i would love for you to watch that movie and for us to discuss it um but we never will unless we do some sort of bonus amnesty episode Mm. (laughs) maybe in a leap year or something i don't know (laughs) how about you is there something that you wish we could do that we can't. Well, now I feel a little embarrassed to say the film that I've picked because it's <laughs> definitely nothing as profound. Okay, no, that's fair enough. <laughs> and it's uh, worthy as ordinary people. So it's the film Daybreakers, uh, which, which is a 2009 film by this 
Beerig Brothers. Oh, yes. I really like that film. I think it's really underrated, but for some reason, everyone I've talked to hates that film. <laughs> and it was, it was filmed in Australia. I think it was filmed in, in Victoria, where, I, where I'm living. And it's got Sam Neill in it. And it's got Ethan Hawke, who I, I love Ethan Hawke. Mm. I think it was also set up for a sequel as well, because the ending is a bit open-ended. Um, but it never happened, because I think the film completely bombed at the box office and no one likes it for some reason. <laughs> oh. I don't know. It sounds ideal for us though. Yeah. But I think I think it's too well known. Uh, yeah, a lot of people have seen it. It's not really forgotten. No. I would say. So Rebecca Carter also asked us, does Tremors qualify for the show? And I think that's another one where we can say it's too well known, unfortunately. Mm. I would say no, yeah. It grossed sixteen million on an eleven million budget. It's had five direct-to-video sequels, a TV series, and there's even talk of a remake. So, yeah, that thing hasn't died. I think it's as famous as it ever was. So Yeah, I mean, I, as a possible contender, um, some of the sequels... Possibly. Uh, yeah. But they are all complete shite. I've seen <laughs> up to... <laughs> I've seen up to number five, and I regret <laughs> watching... All of them. They're terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> See, I was about to recommend that we do an episode on some of the sequels with Serge because he loves these movies, but now you've said oh, that, no. I'm not okay. really sure. I mean, <laughs> I'd be ready to stand with you on most of them, but um, two, actually, I think is good, and mainly for one moment. Two is okay, yeah. One moment in mm. two that Serge even pointed out in his excellent video essay on the whole Tremors series, which people should check out. There is a moment in it where... The male character checks out the female character's bum uh-huh. and the camera sort of does the whole sexy swoop up the body and you think, oh, no, really? But immediately after that, he turns away and she turns back and does exactly the same to him and the camera does the same thing mm-hmm. over Fred Ward's body. So I just think, yes, okay, that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm on board with this movie. I mean, I do love the first movie and the second one is, is pretty good as well, but yeah. they did get progressively shit. <laughs> Especially the fifth one, because they didn't keep any of those kind of main characters. No. In the sequels, they kept that other guy that just goes around shooting everything. Yeah. And it but... didn't really have the same charm. It was just this kind of shoot him up with lots of guns and worms. Yeah. So. I haven't watched them. I should maybe go back. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. <laughs> so our next question is from somebody who goes by the handle, everything will be fine. Mm. What are some crap movies you've seen that have great opening title sequences? I was really pleased to see this question because I can mention something that I didn't cover on the episode that we did on this film, which is Lady Hawk, uh-huh. which has an amazing opening title sequence of these perfectly aligned images of the sun and the moon being masked out by enormous letters from the title Lady Hawk. Uh-huh. So you've got the moon outside the letters and the sun inside them as it's passing across. And it perfectly illustrates the theme of the film and the predicament of the main characters, eternally together, forever apart. Hmm. And it's by a company called R. Greenberg Associates, who created the iconic opening titles for Superman, Alien, The Untouchables, Ghostbusters. And they were just huge doing this kind of thing in the 80s. But 
The CEO of that company believes in numerology, so they change their company's business every nine years. Okay. So they no longer do opening titles.、Uh. They're currently a data visualization service. <laughs> they may change again shortly. <laughs> so yeah, it's、What? really. I did all this research.、Uh. So thank you for that question. Do you have other examples, Dan? I think generally when I watch some crap movie, I forget. <laughs> I don't remember the opening title sequence. No. No. The crapness of the movie kind of overshadows <laughs> the greatness of an opening title sequence, but there is one film I've watched recently that wasn't it wasn't crap it was just a bit average, and that was、uh, the Tall Man. Oh right, which is a 2012 film directed by Pascal Logier、oh. of、uh, Martyrs. I don't know whether you've seen Martyrs.、No. Oh, that's pretty intense film. Anyway, this film is. It's actually pretty good for the first half, and then the second half is just terrible. <laughs> it just just goes downhill.、Um, it's one of those films where the reveal is just very underwhelming,、mm. and so you have all this build up and tension, and then the reveal happens, and then it's you just go, oh, <laughs> is that it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the start of that film it has.、Um, I think Panic Room does it as well.、Um, so the opening title sequence they're composited sort of on top of the landscape.、Oh. So it's got these kind of three D letters of the names of people and everything, but it's composited on top of these big aerial views of the landscape,、mm. sort of on top of like mountains and bridges and stuff. So it looks very three D and part of everything. Yeah.、Um, so that was pretty cool. I know I liked it. Yeah.、Um, but the film. It's okay. <laughs> so our next question is from Isaac, last name,、mm. who has a very interesting YouTube channel. Actually, he does um kind of video essays on on movies、uh. and anime actually as well. So you should check him out, Isaac, last name. Anyway, he asks if you could get anyone to be a special guest on the show. Who would you pick? Well, I mean, if you're going to go for the grandfather of '80s high concept blockbusters and genre-defining science fiction and fantasy adventures, yes, you'd go for Spielberg, wouldn't you? I mean, if we're shooting for the stars, <laughs> let's have Steven Spielberg talk about a movie he loves that nobody else knows about. If we had Steven Spielberg. <laughs> On the pod, I don't think I would even say a word. I would just be completely in awe and dumbfounded.、Um, yeah, I don't know whether that's such a good idea. No, I don't think it'd be a great podcast. It'd just be us sort of going hi, <laughs> and that would be it. It wouldn't be good. Yeah, but for me, as a kid of the eighties. I was never all that taken with Spielberg. I wasn't all that big on ET, and I just thought it was all sappy. And I was much more into Joe Dante.、Mm -hmm. So Spielberg's the Beatles. I think Dante is the Rolling Stones. He was more edgy. He was more dangerous. He was subversive. I love the Howling and Gremlins and Explorers and Inner Space and. His main characters weren't all middle-class suburbanites. Some of them were weird kids, and I just, I,、mm -hmm. I could just relate to that more. So, I rather than Spielberg, although if he if he called, I wouldn't say no.、Mm -hmm. <laughs> But I would love to get Joe Dante on the show talking about probably some B movie from the fifties that he really loves. Who knows?、Mm. How about you? If I could pick a guest,、um, I'm much more into kind of more indie. 
directors. Ah, okay. I guess this guy's not really an indie director anymore, but um, I've been really into his movies recently. Uh, Sam Raimi, I would love, mm. love to talk to him yes. about uh, films because he, he started off making these B-grade 80s mm. um, low-budget horror films and so I think he would be right up our alley in terms of being able to talk about some. Probably got he's probably got a whole bunch of obscure movies up his sleeve that he could talk about. Yes. Um. Similarly, uh, maybe not so much horror, but um, Edgar Wright. Oh yeah. Would be amazing to talk to. Yes. His style of of filming and his um, use of cinematography and and cuts and and music mm. and also using cinema tropes from horror and action and comedy oh he's he would be so fascinating to talk to yeah he would be i'd love to hear about some bizarre movie that he loves that nobody's heard of Mm. i think it would be really interesting exactly on the subject of celebrities another question from lena she asks jimmy stewart or cary grant dan well I feel like I've seen all of Jimmy Stewart's movies mm. and none of Cary Grant's. Really? Oh. Um, I'm a huge, huge Hitchcock fan. So Jimmy is in a bunch of them. Mm. Uh, also, he's in A Wonderful Life. So I would probably gravitate towards Jimmy just because I know him. But I do think Jimmy is the same character <laughs> in all of his movies. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's kind of just like... Yeah, <laughs> he, he he kind of never really says anything outright. He's he's always just kind of doing this weird speech thing that he does. Um, <laughs> I mean, it has to be said, Cary Grant is pretty much Cary Grant in every movie too. <laughs> yeah, I, I okay. So I've seen two movies with Cary Grant: North by Northwest mm-hmm. and Charade. Oh, and yeah. he kind of comes across as just a seedy old man. <laughs> Um, just a little bit, just a little bit sleazy, but, um, I don't know. I think it was a different era. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) There is a big age difference between him and his love interest in both of those movies. It does have to be said. Yes. Yeah. I would go Jimmy for sure. I mean, Cary Grant is smooth and suave, but I don't, I get the feeling that he could be aloof and cold. So Mm -hmm. whereas Jimmy was just a big warm hug of a man and had an unshakable moral fortitude that you just couldn't help but love. So yeah, Mm. Jimmy Stewart all the way for me. Mm. Okay. So on to the next set of questions, and these ones are music related. Mm. Uh, So this one is from my wife, actually. (laughs) Hi, Hannah. Uh, She's probably listening right now. (laughs) Anyway, she asks, uh, what would the movie Oubliette theme sound like in a cappella? Well, I guess that's the challenge now. We have to do it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At some point. Um, We also had a question, and I I suspect it's tongue-in-cheek and also goading us somewhat. It's from Cobra Commander Rules. Cobra Commander rules. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Cobra Commander would like to know which track from the Lady Hawk soundtrack is our favourite. <laughs> <laughs> and when we see two swords parrying in other movies, do we now hear staccato chords on an 80s synthesizer? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I've got a tongue-in-cheek answer to both of those. So I said, uh, in regards to my favourite track on Lady Hawk, I said none, of course. <laughs> and then when I see Two Swords Parry in movies, do I think of staccato chords on the synthesizer? No, I think of Lady Hawk, and then I think of slamming my face through my 80s keyboard because <laughs> that's... <laughs> Because of how terrible Lady Hawk was. <laughs> Harsh but fair, I think. And I think that's the sort of answer that question deserved, quite frankly. Yes. And it leads quite nicely into the next question, actually, which was... We got very similar questions from Anne Rabaglia. Hey, Anne. Hello, Anne. And Pat Mack, who asked... Or which film would one or both of you love to either recreate the soundtrack for or create a whole new one? And I, I think the easy answer for me is I would love to replace the score to Lady Hawk. I would do it tomorrow. Mm. It's right up there with Goldeneye as a film I would most like to completely rescore because the score just destroys the movie. Mm. And in terms of recreating a score, it would be The Haunting. And that's because... The original session tapes are lost. Um, so I would love to get an orchestra together and get them to re-perform that score in beautiful high-definition stereo for uh, another generation yes. to enjoy. Wow, yes. How about you? Um, I said Lady Hawk as well. Uh, in terms <laughs> of recreating uh, a score, I am still amazed at how, um, how far electronic music has gone. Um, and I, I really love this film composer called John Powell, who did all the Bourne Identity movies, mm. and he uses a lot of electronic uh, instruments and synthesizers uh, in a really interesting ways, and I don't know how he does it. So I'd love to talk to him and yes. for him to show me how he, he recreates these these scores because they, they're so interesting. They're just full of lots of texture. Yeah, John mm. Powell. John Powell, he does some amazing scores. I love his score to United 93, which is very understated and haunting. Mm. Well, this actually leads us to a question that we missed, uh, which was from Lena again. And she asks, uh, which soundtracks are your favourites? Wow. Gosh, that's a big question. (laughs) Just look at the wall behind me. (laughs) Um, That's really hard. I mean, it's got to be Jerry Goldsmith for me. Gosh, to pick one, though, it's unbelievably difficult. She says soundtracks, plural. So, Well, I love his work for Explorers. I love David Shire's score for Return to Oz, oddly enough. And I love... John Williams, his music for things like Indiana Jones and there's just so many. Bernard Herrmann's work for Hitchcock on things like Psycho and mm. and Danny Elfman's work for Tim Burton. So things like Edward Scissorhands, which is just achingly beautiful. And I've been lucky enough to see him perform that live in the Albert Hall. Mm-hmm. So that was amazing. It's really hard. So many. <laughs> I would agree with your uh, choice of Bernard Herrmann. But I would say that uh, I I kind of gravitate towards more indie movie composers. So I really love John Bryan, um, who did the soundtrack to Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind and I Heart Huckabees. Mm. He uses interesting instruments, but in a more 
not so much a score, but more almost like if if it was a a band. Mm. And I really, really love the score to Fantastic Mr. Fox by Alexandra Desplat. Mm. He does comedy really well. And for me, comedy scoring is the hardest to do. Yes. It needs to be perfectly timed, often using quite strange instruments, weird key signatures, layering texture, and at the same time being very sort of understated and subtle. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. Alexandra Desplat does that beautifully. He does. He's one of the most interesting film score artists working out there at the moment, mm. I think. Sadly, melodic and interesting film scoring has pretty much died in Hollywood. It's because the Hans Zimmer copy and paste mm-hmm. cello ostinato world has sort of taken over and it's all sound design with no themes whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But if you look in Europe, people like Alexandre Desplat. There's also Johann Soderquist, who did the music to Let the Right One In, oh. which every time it comes on my iPod, I cry <laughs> because mm. it's so, so beautiful. He also did... Uh, Contiki, which is incredible. Right. So, yeah, if you want interesting scores, I think you do have to look in Europe at the moment. Mm. Okay, so the next question uh, is actually from me. Uh, <laughs> and it's about our incredible body of work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I ask, out of all the jingles that you've made, Conrad, for the Oubliette podcast, which one was <laughs> your favourite? Um, my favourites are the ones that we collaborate on, actually, because huh? it's... Okay. It just reminds me of the spirit of hit record, which is where we met. So I, I thought our Christmas jingle is amazing. I love it. I just that, loved yes. it. <laughs> because it's mostly you, but it's you gave me a bassist and I sang and played an orchestra over the top of it. And oh, I love it. It's so warm and fuzzy. Mm, well, I, I think it's mostly you, but okay. I, I, I laid down some basic framework and, and you just added all the pretty lights and and tinsel (laughs) yeah i'm very good with that but in terms of my own efforts i think probably my favorite was for amityville 2 because i think i (laughs) i managed to make it spookily accurate to the original soundtrack (laughs) because i love trying to create jingles that sound like the the original scores for the movies we're talking about and with that one i think i really really nailed it even Mm. with the children's choir which i didn't have to hand (laughs) so it's just me (laughs) in terms of my favorites of yours i would say um the stuff you did for amityville 2 as well as the stuff you did for the haunting uh, you have a great oh, yeah. way of arranging things that sound perfectly <laughs> almost identical to the scores of the films as well as um the score you did for cemetery man was just like i was gobsmacked <laughs> at how identical it sounded because <laughs> you managed to get exactly the same instrument as well yeah i knew which keyboard it was <laughs> as soon as i heard it i thought i know which keyboard this is so what about you what was your your i have a personal favorite of your jingles but what, what's your personal um, favorite i actually really loved the jingle that i did for h20 the halloween 20 years later episode ah. um because i i knew that the score of H20 was just ripping off the Scream. So I just ripped <laughs> yeah. off the Scream theme. <laughs> you did. It. Perfectly. 
It was uncanny. And also kind of weaved in our theme in there as well. So um, mm. I was really proud of that. Uh, <laughs> it was a very good one. My, my favourite one of yours that isn't based on another score is the childhood nostalgia jingle. Oh, Because right. nothing captured the 80s Saturday morning cartoon <laughs> oversaturated VHS soundtrack. <laughs> Uh, better than that. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, yes. Well, I watched an ordinate amount of 80s cartoon openings to research there. <laughs> <laughs> My browser was just about 20 tabs of 80s cartoon <laughs> openings on YouTube. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so great that you can get this stuff, though. Oh, it's great. It's amazing. So for our final roundup of questions, we have some that I suspect were less serious. Mm. <laughs> so and mainly they're aimed towards you, Dan, oh. because you're obviously much more interesting than I am. Yeah. Or at least Australia seems to hold significant yes. fascin- <laughs> yeah, fascination with, rather than Cambridge. But here we go. We have one question which is from Poeticon Music. Poeticon Music, who has a, a great YouTube channel. It's pretty much a 101 on hip-hop, um, how to write hip-hop tracks. He's amazing. He is amazing. He is amazing. <laughs> and and what was his question? Sorry. <laughs> his question, and I'm getting ready to duck, what's the difference between an Aussie and a Kiwi? <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess the main difference is as Kiwis are just better at rugby than Aussies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining the Australian audience. <laughs> We're just going to get just this big stream of hate mail from all the Aussies now. Um, I mean, I, in terms of demeanour, I, I find Australians are a lot more confident than Kiwis. Uh, Kiwis mm. are a lot more reserved and they love nature and... Um, Aussies are a little bit more brash. I think it's the same comparison you have between uh, Americans and Canadians. Um, I think Americans Mm. are a lot louder than Canadians. It's the same thing. I think New Zealanders do say sorry a lot more. In terms of uh, (laughs) our accent, it's mainly just the vowels, I think. I would say pen for something you write, you know, on a piece of paper Mm. using a pen, whereas an Australian would say a pen. That was the main thing that was, that confused people when I first moved to Australia. Every time I would say pen, they would think (laughs) I was saying pen. And every time I said pen, they thought I was saying pan or something. It was just, just come on, it's just a vowel. How how could it sound that different? But anyway, that was, that was really it. Because I've been here for so long now, I don't really get picked out as a Kiwi anymore. I think my accent has softened a lot. Mm. People say I have a international accent now, so that sounds ah. suave. So I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so we have another question from Cheryl Kadzow. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And she obviously remembers you back in the days when you had lovely, long, flowing hair. She asks, did you keep your hair when you cut it off? Well, yeah, I I think I did. Um, So I think I did with the intention of donating it. So when I went to the barber, I had it in a ponytail and they just literally just cut off the ponytail and I kept the ponytail, which is... Somewhere in this room, uh, in a bag somewhere. <laughs> so I think, you know, youth, 
you go through your youth, you have <laughs> you have your long hair, and then when you grow up, you you cut it off and be mature and all that sort of stuff. Well, at least we know it's there somewhere, so we can clone you at some oh, point in the future. Yeah. So we can continue <laughs> the podcast for a millennia. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> and uh, finally, from our friend Serge. Hello, Serge. Hey, Serge. Is it true that Americans don't have to worry about the world ending within the next 24 hours because it's already tomorrow in Australia? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, it's already... Armageddon right now, so you've got something to look forward to uh, in terms of the heat. But I would have to say, if it was an alien invasion, mm. first place they always invade, New York. So uh, I feel like I'm safe is, in yeah. terms of alien invasion. Yeah, I think you probably are, because, I mean, London always gets it, and yep. then New York. And for Surge, I think I think Chicago's not far behind, is it? No. Yeah, Australia's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, though, uh, this year a alien invasion Australian film has come out um, where aliens ah. do invade Australia at, at a football game, ah. <laughs> which is... <laughs> I don't know. The movie looks ridiculous. I, I will watch it at some point. I'm not sure whether it's going to be good, but it's it's called Occupation, if anyone has seen it mm. and would recommend me watching it. Mm. So maybe the aliens will invade Australia. Who knows? But I've still got my money on New York. <laughs> Definitely. And Serge also asked, and that leads us nicely into our final section, what can we expect from the podcast in the next year? And seeing as this is our New Year's special episode, I thought it would be fun for us to come up with some resolutions for ourselves and for the podcast. What are our New Year's resolutions? What's What do we want to do for ourselves and for the podcast in 2019, Dan? Mm, well, I would love to cover more uh, childhood nostalgia movies. Um, we've only done yeah. one, which was Willow. Yeah, we had a blast on that episode. That's why it's an hour and 20 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, it's too long. It's, <laughs> it's too long. <laughs> it's jam-packed with information, though, so I feel like it's it's warranted. Yeah, one of mine is that I need to be more concise, <laughs> especially oh, yes. in the mooblies, because I ramble far too much and it creates an editing nightmare for you because you tend to edit the mooblies. And so I'm going to try to be concise <laughs> if mm. I possibly mm. can. I mean, That's one of mine. Another thing that I would love to do this year is uh, set up a Patreon account and have some sort of bonus mm. material because th th we do edit a lot of our stuff. Mm. Our movies tend to go on for about 20 minutes and we edit it down <laughs> to below 10 minutes. It would be great to kind of put up some uncut movies where, mm. where you can ramble for your heart's content and people will listen to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, oh, no. And pay for the privilege, poor people. Yes, <laughs> I th I think there are some fascinating things that we both talk about in our movies that we often have to cut out. So, yeah, a Patreon account is something yeah. I would love to set up this year. Yeah, let's do that. Yes. And how about personally? I mean, if you got any, maybe just film related. I have a film related one that I can talk about, which is that I want to watch more of those films that appear on the 100 films to watch before you die list. Oh, yes. <laughs> because a supposed film buff, I have some shocking lapses in my film exposure. For example, I've never seen Citizen Kane. Oh. I've never seen Taxi Driver. 
I've never wow. seen Singing in the Rain or Dr. Zhivago. Very few mobsters, musicals and Marvel and I, lots of M's. I'd like to rectify that this year. I'd like to actually watch some of these classics. Yeah, well, those are a lot of great movies. Similarly, there are a bunch of films that I would like to watch. And actually, I would like to cover on the podcast are like old horror films. Mm. So I'm talking pre... 50s. Oh, okay. I think 60s is the oldest I've gone in terms of horror. I, I've never mm. watched any of the original Dracula movies or the Frankenstein movies or the oh. Mummy movies. Uh, and I think, yeah, I would love to watch them, but I just I just haven't. And I would like to cover some of them on, on the pod. That would be great. Yeah. Some of them that maybe have been forgotten that would be worth checking out for sure. Yeah. So any other personal resolutions? Exercise more, read more. (laughs) Exercise more. I think my main resolution is just work harder. I feel like I just don't work hard enough. I I feel (laughs) I'm just, I'm a terrible procrastinator and incredibly lazy at the best of times. So um, I want to work harder. I want to do more sound design on films. Uh, I'd love to do more horror films this year. I've only done one horror my entire Oh. career as a struggling sound designer um so <laughs> i would love to do that but yeah i guess be more ambitious put myself out there yeah. <laughs> be more hard working <laughs> okay well we can look forward to you producing much much more next year i hope okay. so <laughs> i hope so and how about you any any personal goals for this coming year I would like to do more of the animations that I've been doing ah, yes. for YouTube. Because, I mean, I've been doing them every now and again, but I would like to be able to put them up more regularly mm-hmm. because it's just been sort of sporadic. And I don't think YouTube rewards you if you just put things up every now and again. <laughs> I think you have to just, you have to be quite regular yes, yes. for the algorithm, the great algorithm in the sky to pick you out. Mm-hmm. And, and I enjoy making them, so I would like to spend more time doing that mm-hmm. and to learn more about animation because I do enjoy doing it. But yes. Well, okay. So that concludes our Ask Me Anything episode for 2018. Yes. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Thanks to everyone who sent questions in. If anybody else wants to talk to us, we are on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as Movie Oubliette. Check us out. It's always good to hear from you. Sure is. Don't forget to like and subscribe and review us on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. And tell your friends. We want to grow our audience next year. That's one of my goals. Mm, mm. And special thanks to Evan Heisman, uh, Anne Rabaglia, Liana Odi, and Kirk Olmsted for doing artwork for our logo and props and background for our animation. So I guess all that's left is for us to say what film we're going to be covering in our next episode. Mm, yeah. What film are we going to be covering, Conrad? <laughs> <laughs> Well, luckily enough, it's my pick from the Oubliette, and I must have telepathically picked up on your yearning to do a childhood nostalgia episode, Mm. because I have picked a childhood nostalgia item out of the Oubliette. I've gone for a 1985 fantasy film called Return to Oz. Ooh, I think I have seen this, uh, but I can't remember a single thing. (laughs) (laughs) So much like Willow. (laughs) Yes, it's it's just going to be another Willow situation here. But I'm excited. I'm excited. It's a great film to check out, to revisit. I mean, I very fondly remember it. It's 
directed by Walter Murch, who is a sound designer, in fact. Mm. He was a sound designer working with Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas much of the time, and editor. Okay. And this was his first, last, and only film as director. Uh. And it's a, obviously a sequel to The Wizard of Oz, uh, starring Feruza Bolk, Gene Marsh, Piper Laurie, and Nicole Williamson. So quite a distinguished cast. I think this will be fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward. And, and also childhood nostalgia. So my dreams are coming true already. <laughs> and I get to hear your jingle again. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so thanks, listeners, for joining us on this special episode, uh, Ask Me Anything. And thanks for all your great and fascinating questions. Uh, it's been a fun ride. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So I guess I hope everyone has had a great holiday season, however you're celebrating, and Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you, Dan. Yeah, oh yes, yes, Happy New Year to you. I hope everyone's been watching lots of films in their downtime. Yes. Good time for it. It is. Especially in colder climate countries. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not in the sweat box that you're living in yeah. at the moment. Not the, the sauna that I'm currently reclining in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye for now. Bye. And Happy New Year. Wee-hoo, 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 wee-